Hi, I'm Beverly with our sister's house. Welcome to Confabulation. And if anyone that you know or yourself is experiencing domestic violence in any form, or you need mental health counseling or support, please contact us at 253-383-4275 or visit our website, OurSistersHouse.com. I'd like to welcome back to Confabulation today, Bishop Kim Forrest, the pastor and founder of King of Glory Assembly in Spanaway, Washington, and Ms. Kira Dubeck from Washington Trafficking Prevention. Welcome guys, and thank you for coming back. Okay, so Ms. Kira, knowing just a minuscule part of your story, yet knowing enough to know that you recognize red flags of trafficking. I'm gonna ask you today if you'll kind of touch on um, the red flags of trafficking and um, things that parents miss, things that even um, family members can miss and um, even innocent bystanders can miss um, and including in that I'm asking you, um, you know, how do you balance and apply your experience to life today? Oh, those are some big questions. So um, I'm just, first off, I just want to say thank you so much for having me back today and, um, you know, just creating this opportunity for us to have a conversation. I think that these conversations about exploitation are so impactful when they're had in community um, because the truth is, is that exploitation is something that all of us should be doing something about and all of us need to have a hand in solving. Um, you know, I'll, I'll get to some of the signs and stuff like that here in just a moment, but I think that it's really important um, first off to kind of like talk about just the fact that there's so much misinformation out there around exploitation. Um, I'm sure that, you know, I'm sure both of you saw a lot of stuff come out on social media last year and um, a lot of conspiracy theories were kind of like put out and a lot, a lot of things under the hashtag save the children. Do you remember that last year? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, that's, that's one of the biggest problems that we face, to be quite honest with both of you. And, um, you know, it is a lack of correct information. Um, and that lack of correct information makes it super harmful. Um, you know, I keep thinking about just what we've seen in the last 18 months alone, right? Um, when the pandemic hit, and Washington State shut down. Um, all of us at WTP, we kind of sat down and we were thinking about this and we were like, you know what? I bet you that online grooming and exploitation is gonna get worse. And so we launched a program called Online Safety for Families. And um, this program really does equip parents with all the tools that they need in order to prevent exploitation in their home. Um, learn how to actually set up those safety settings, because that's a, a huge, a huge thing. But we also want to improve the parent-child bond. That's a primary preventative factor that all of us need to try and foster, whether we're, you know, at an organization like Our Sister's House or Washington Trafficking Prevention. And Our Sister's House is a lot of really fantastic work with families. Or if we're in, you know, the faith community, um, like Bishop is, and you know, that's one of the things that I think all of us as community members need to be keeping in mind. But really, there's kind of there's several different forms of online abuse that I think are really, really important to talk about today. Mm -hmm. um, there's sex trafficking that happens online. There's commercial sexual abuse of a minor that happens online. There's luring. Um, sextortion, which is where somebody extorts you for videos or um, 
photographs that you've sent. Um, there's grooming that happens, the recruitment for labor exploitation, cyberbullying, and emotional abuse. So these are all kind of like the really big things that we see as well as stalking, you know, cyber stalking happens and, you know, um, sending out private information uh, that identifies a person. And so when we're talking about kind of these different forms of online abuse, uh, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children just released a report that in 2020, between January and September, there was a 99% increase of online child boarding. Wow. And, you know, think about, you know, I think about who was working last year, um, and particularly, like, a lot of schools shut down. And so, particularly for single parent households with parents that are hourly wage workers, we're talking about young people who are in poverty, might not have social supports, are now disconnected from their schools, and they have no parent at home that are particularly vulnerable, right? And so every young child, part of their normal social development, it, it includes, you know, really having connections with peers, community members, and a lot of that's been really severely missing. And so when that happens, what do you do? You hop onto TikTok, you hop onto Snapchat, you um, hop onto all of these, you know, to Instagram. And that's how you're connecting with people. And the people that groom children for abuse and exploitation, they're not looking for bad kids. They're looking for kids who feel lonely. They're looking for kids who feel isolated, that have a lack of support systems and have unmet needs. And sometimes those unmet needs, especially when you look at social media these days, the unmet needs could be for things in their mind, like, I don't have these clothes, I don't have these shoes, I don't have this car, I don't have that phone, I don't have these gadgets, right, that are kind of shoved in our faces all the time. And so, um, and then there's other kids who have, you know, real unmet basic needs, like food, shelter, and safety. Mm-hmm. And so when you look at it, and, and I really want to break this down for people because I, I want to squash this myth once and for all. Um, most of the time, it is somebody that you know. Um, kidnapping act, like absolutely does happen. It absolutely does. But the primary entry point into commercial sexual exploitation is promises of love. So Kira, before you go on, you said it's someone that you know. Are you saying the person that the perpetrator is someone that that child knows? Typically. um, So when you look at kind of like the top five entry points that is reported by Polaris Project, they're a national, uh, they run the National Human Trafficking Hotline. And one of the questions that they ask is, how did you, you know, get into this? And what they found in, you know, their 2019 data is that um, just over a thousand people reported promises of love and just under a thousand people reported through a family member. So it happens almost as often. Hmm. Okay. And then further down, like 500 reported through a a job advertisement online, like modeling or acting, things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, Those two things are really, really common for, you know, exploiting somebody for sex because you work to expand their boundaries slowly over a period of time. Um, About 450 or so said that they were going to help this person out. They were posed as a a benefactor. And then about 300 folks reported through false promises or fraud. Nowhere on there does kidnapping even show up. Mm -hmm. So um, what I will say is like, when we're talking about commercial sexual exploitation, we are talking about promises of love and family members who are trafficking. And that can look like a a variety of things. So 
I mean, it's not just parents looking out for stuff. Um, it's also the community. It's also community leaders, community members, people in um, social groups, people in schools looking out for this. And so, you know, we've, we've seen like, again, that 99% increase of online child luring last year. And then in King County, our neighboring county, um, they reported a 162.5% increase of commercial sexual exploitation of children last year. 65%? 162% increase. I would be interested in knowing if there's any type of uh, documentation statistics that points to the church. The, community, the faith community as to what that would look like. Um, because I know, I don't wanna be naive to the fact that we are um, incapable or we are uh, someone that won't be touched by this type of activity. So from a pastoral position, a person of faith, a community leader, I want us to have more of this type of dialogue so that there is a heightened sense of awareness that we can be um, vulnerable, attached mm -hmm. by sex trafficking and the allurement of, of, of innocent children that's been somewhat in a protected environment. And especially during the pandemic, I heard you say that 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 ratio went up. And so my concern would be, again, those children that's been in somewhat of a sheltered environment and some of them that can feel forced into a church environment that now become vulnerable to the lures or the attraction of someone that may be a trafficker. Does that kind of make sense? I. I yeah, it does. And I mean, the truth is, is that there's not any like statistics about like how many kids grew up in church that have now been exploited. Like that's mm -hmm. not a data point that's available. Anecdotally, I can tell you that a lot of the survivors that I've served and have met throughout the years and, um, and things of that nature have said, I grew up in the faith community. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and it happens across all faiths. So it doesn't, it doesn't matter what faith body you, um, you know, necessarily are a member of, mm -hmm. but it's been very, very rare that I've heard somebody say, I have never, ever, um, gone to church or been involved in a faith community of any kind at all whatsoever. In fact, I can only think of one person that that's the story for. And I, I know thousands of survivors. Right. So, yeah. um, you know, uh, what I will say is that a lot of them report, um, so 70% of survivors report incest. Wow. 85% report childhood sexual abuse. So if we've got those couple of things and, you know, we know that, um, young people, you know, or survivors growing up have been in church. And then we know that 70% of survivors experience incest. That means that we've got an incest problems in the families that are going to faith bodies, you know, and in some communities and in some faiths, sexual abuse uh, and incest are incredibly covered up. And, mm -hmm. you know, you're told to pray it away sometimes. Yeah. So those are those are things that are kind of like really hard, but I think that it's really important too to unpack again the definition of commercial sexual abuse of a minor. Um, you know, this is commercial sexual abuse of a minor. This is an RCW here in Washington State, and it includes when a person solicits, offers, um, requests to engage, or provides anything of value um, to a minor or a third party as compensation for that minor having engaged in sexual contact with him or her. Um, 
And an example of this that's really common is, you know, again, I'm going to go back to familial trafficking because it's so incredibly common. We're talking about um, a family member, maybe it's an uncle, a cousin, an aunt, um, because we know that abusers come in all genders, um, is sexually abusing a family member that is a minor, and they tell that child that if they don't tell their parents, I'll give you a teddy bear or a new Xbox or I'll take mm -hmm. you to Magic Mountain. Mm -hmm. um, so this is something that, you know, and I've heard a couple of people say this in a really powerful way is stop leaving your kids with confused family members. Stop mm. leaving your kids with people that you know have sexually abused you as a child or your cousins or your siblings, like stop leaving your kids with people that are not safe to leave your kids with. And so I think that that's something that I want every parent to be really considering. I know that we get in binds with our work and maybe our sitter doesn't show up or we can't access daycare services or daycare is too expensive. And so we have a family member watch our kids, but um, I'm telling you that the risk really, really is just too great um, for our young people. So, you know, I know that there's a lot of questions around like online safety and stuff. And I feel like I've been kind of like talking a whole bunch. Um, and I really talked about some of those, um, those really important things that I wanted to hit on, but I want to talk about those signs and tactics of online abuse, because I think that they're so important, especially right now with the Delta variant coming out. Um, and I, I'm going to take a, a stab and say that, like, it's probably very likely we're going to see school shut down again this year. Right. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm kind of feeling that as well. Yes. You know, um, ladies, I, I um, again, my concern for the faith community is that we're not naive to the fact that there is a lot of vulnerability within our ranks simply because of sometimes the uh, protected environment that we think we have. And when I say protected, um, for instance, I'm, I'm privy to information of, of it having happened to where a family member has abused a family member and possibly the matriarch of that family covers it up for the sake of shame or whatever happens in the family, we keep it in the family. Yeah. The dialogue is for, for us, again, we may not be able to get the answer here, but at least the dialogue of someone viewing this would be able to now give some sort of um, awareness that there is a need for us to be able to recognize signs of cover-up, the, the, the shyness of a kid, the ability to not be able to connect uh, or whenever there is conversation with a, a teenager or a, a child, they refer to the adult before they answer and those kind of things. Again, I personally believe those can be flags of now that child not being able to actually have some sense of identity outside of that environment that has been created to keep things secretive. And, and again, that comes out of some experiences and some conversations that I've had within the church. But if church leaders are not aware of those type of things, it goes unnoticed. And again, the domino effect or the collateral damage for that victim can be so traumatic that they go into their adult years with all of these issues and then sometimes actually turning against the church and become vulnerable in that community because that's happened. 
And I really think that that's the course that those that say they were raised in church and there was a level of, of incest or abuse that was covered up. And so now that makes them vulnerable to a trafficker because they see that need. They see that place of a vulnerability and they can easily recognize that. On the flip side of that, in the church community, recognizing the signs of an abuser um, or someone that may be somewhat involved in trafficking children and they come into a church, a faith-based environment because, again, of the vulnerability of our children. Huh. It's a lot of things to kind of like unpack. Um, you know, the truth is, is that in my professional expertise um, in this area, I think that anybody who is interacting and supporting families or young people, um, particularly in churches, should um, be mandated to take courses around sexual violence, domestic violence, and human trafficking and signs of abuse and neglect. <laughs> and to my knowledge, none of that is required at all. And, you know, you and I can have a quick, like five minute conversation, but, um, and people could li listen to this podcast, um, but they're not going to get the depth or the breadth of information that they need in such a short period of time to actually be effective in helping people. You know, um, when, when we're looking at and we're talking about who experiences exploitation, we're talking about people in the community who um, have experienced instances of childhood trauma. Um, and so, and what we know from the ACEs study back from, uh, you know, the 90s conducted by Kaiser Permanente is that when we're talking about um, adverse childhood experiences, it's like the, the basic needs are hard to meet, like mm -hmm. food and shelter. Um, caregivers um, are divorced or separated. There's been a parental death. There's been a parental incarceration in jail or in prison. Um, there's been physical uh, violence in the home, um, like domestic violence and stuff like that. Um, there's been violence witnessed in the community, uh, parental figure that has mental health. And I mean, I, I think that we also need to talk about in the faith community how uh, mental health, you're not encouraged sometimes to go and get, you know, trauma therapy. Um, and especially if there's generational trauma, like generational mm -hmm. trauma is huge. Um, and depending upon the, the culture that you come from as well, like mental health can be really stigmatized in certain cultures that um, people come from. And those experiences can really kind of like make it that much like, deeper, right? And then, so you've got things like generational trauma and then people, when they have untreated uh, mental health conditions, many will, you know, turn to substance use, right? So they'll start drinking, they'll start doing drugs and things like that. And we know that people who commit violence or domestic violence oftentimes are under the influence of alcohol. So it's this vicious cycle of like people not getting the help that they need and not having the social supports and being told to suck it up or, you know, you don't need to go to therapy. You don't need those pills. You just need to pray. You need to have a little bit more faith. And so when I think about the intersections of childhood trauma and childhood trauma and race in particular, like, what I see with childhood trauma and the um, commercial sexual exploitation of children here in Washington state, there is a direct correlation between um, poverty. There is a direct correlation between poverty and sexual abuse and trauma um, and houselessness and the different things that make somebody vulnerable to exploitation. So, um, you know, I think that it's a lot of different things and, and, 
we got to start talking about things. We need to start talking with families about, you know, how we need to stop covering things up. Right. Members that are, um, because what we're doing is we're just continually like perpetuating this cycle that is impossible to get out of, you know, you know, um, if, if I can, break here because I don't want to lose this particular thought, but something I wanted to elaborate on, it's a possibility, a strong possibility that because of this podcast, someone may be able to see this and be in that place where they are told when they share something, just pray about it, um, keep this to yourselves. If they hear this, they need to know that there are agencies, there is someone outside of that circle that they need to contact and let them know exactly what they're dealing with, what they're feeling, what they're experiencing. And if by chance someone hears this, please understand that you're not alone, but you need to reach out. That secretive, that when you have been violated in mm -hmm. any type of way and someone simply says to you, you just need to pray more, I have more faith. That's a sign to you to go outside of that circle. And again, I mentioned that in this dialogue, if by chance someone should be exposed to this podcast and that's your situation or you're in the a relationship with someone that has shared with you that information of concern and they were told just pray keep that in the family there are agencies such as our sister's house or even you Kara, that can be able to help them and give them the support that is needed again one of the things that i pray that this does is give information, a heightened awareness that the church, the faith community is not, um, what's the word that I'm looking for, is, is not untouchable. That these conversations need to be had, that is something that is, that is taboo, um, uh, ignored, even ignored. brushed over. Again, one of my prayers and my involvement, if nothing else, but to lift the awareness through these podcasts and understanding that there is a way out, there is help, there is support. We need to be aware that we can have these type of dialogues in the church environment, community leaders. I think you mentioned the aspect of anyone that's involved in any type of ministry in the church involving children should even do a background check. Yes. There was yeah. a time when we did that um, in Sunday school, did a background check. And when someone, we actually had someone that refused and we did not allow them to be around the children and come to find out they did have a history of abuse. So these kind of things um, is another warning sign. If you put out the fact that there needs to be a uh, background check to work around children and someone refuses, that's not an individual that you would allow around your children. Even if you, well, we know them, you can't take that chance of saying, well, we know them. And if they refuse to take a background check when something possibly will come back on them that alert us that they have that tendency, we need to be aware of it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I think, you know, just keeping in mind, uh, I know that we only have a, a few more minutes left. I want to get some of this really important information that parents need to know right. um, more than anything, um, you know, and one thing that I would say real quick, just to kind of like um, uh, add to um, what you were just saying, Bishop, is that I think that on an annual basis, we need to be running background checks for anybody mm -hmm. who's interacting with 
anybody who is vulnerable, so elders, people who are divorced, people who are spiritually hurting, children, everybody should get an annual background check. Um, and that's to protect the people around us, not to, not to protect our organization. I mean, right. our organizations have those requirements and things like that, but we should be doing it to protect the people in our communities who are depending upon us to keep them safe. Right. I like that. I, I like the fact that you mentioned not just to protect the organization or the church, but the people that are being served. They're the vulnerable ones, and those are the ones that need to be protected and sheltered because they come to us for help and support, and we want to create an environment that people not only feel safe, but they are safe especially to a vulnerable community. Precisely, precisely. Right, right. And so, so I'm sorry. Oh, do you wanna talk about these signs? I do, I was gonna say, you know, um, I just feel that this is really important. So, you know, we can go over, we can go over some time, a little time, because I feel that this is important and um, I'm going to be pushing this segment as a heightened awareness and a lot of, I think um, the last time we spoke, we talked about, you know, some signs and some do's and don'ts for parents and children. So I, I you know, I think that it is necessary that we put out those red flags and the, the um, you know, watch for this and the, the do's, the don'ts, the, so Kira, I, I would love for you to go ahead and yeah, put that out there. So um, there's lots of different signs and tactics for online abuse um, and, and exploitation. And this is not going to be comprehensive because again, like this, this is a very nuanced subject. And so I encourage anyone who cares for young people to attend Online Safety for Families. It is a free program that our organization offers. Um, we want people to have this information. It's held in the evenings, it's on Zoom. You can literally have your camera off and just listen the entire time, ask your questions, you'll get resources and a family technology agreement. If you don't have a family technology agreement, that is red flag number one. You need to have conversations, right? And so, you know, I wanna talk a little bit about familial trafficking. I think since it's the second most common entry point, um, anybody who is interacting with young people, anybody who um, is a parent or a caregiver or a foster parent needs to know. So we're talking about, again, family members who sexually abuse a child and give them items in exchange for silence or um, kind of as payment. So um, think about how many times you've had a young person that you've heard of that was given a teddy bear after they were sexually abused type deal. That is, that is sex trafficking by definition, mm -hmm. um, federally and locally here in our state. We're talking about family members who take children on frequent trips alone. We are talking about family members, um, you know, who allow drug dealers to sexually abuse their children in exchange for drugs or money. Mm -hmm. We're talking about parents, caregivers, and family members who create child pornography and then sell it online to make money. Um, those, those are all very, very common things. And I think that it's something that we all need to be more aware of. Um, like I said, online grooming uh, and child luring, you know, raised 99% last year, according to Nick Mick. So, you know, we're talking about some of the risks and the, the grooming tactics here are, you know, young people who have multiple social media accounts, okay? So we're talking about young people who have an Instagram that their family sees and then an Instagram that only, you know, certain people know about, mm -hmm. right? Um, we are talking about young people on TikTok um, accepting friend and follow requests from strangers. You know, it used to be that social media had this guideline. I remember when Facebook said, you know, you need to be 15 years or older to have a Facebook. Right. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know about you, but I can just sit there on the calculator and I can subtract and add real quick, like, and, you know, change my birthday. I, you know, I was born actually a hundred years ago. Um, I can tell Facebook that, right. Um, our kids are not stupid. They know how to use technology. Mm -hmm. Um, the minimum age requirement now is only 13 years old. Right. And so they bumped it down a couple of years. They want as many users as possible. So Mm -hmm. they're getting as many views on their ad as possible so they can make it as much money as possible. Right. That's why it's, that's why they don't put all the safeguards out that they could or should be doing. So we're talking about young people who divulge personal information about their home life. Gosh, my mom and I fight all the time. I hate my stepdad. He's a jerk. Um, I have no friends. I don't feel pretty. All those things. We're talking Mm -hmm. about um, abusers who send out friend requests in mass. So we're talking about um, it is a lot easier. Like I said, kidnapping doesn't make the top five. And here's why. It's because it is a lot easier for me to sit here on my phone and go onto my social media and friend request hundreds of people all day long, start waiting for them to accept and looking at them and being like, oh, they look like they, they might, you know, like a little bit of attention. I'm going to go ahead and love bomb them and gas them up. And then I'm going to convince them I have their back no matter what. Promises of love, the most common. And that's how it's done. And once your child except that person's friend request, then that person will go into your child's friend list, request all of their friends and go into those people's friends list, request all of them. Mm. And then they just sit back and wait. It's like shooting fish in a barrel. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, one other thing that I want to say is like, all of us have multiple friends on social media accounts and you never know who's a weirdo out there. Stop posting pictures of your kids in the bath. Mm-hmm. Um, because people will will save that. You can save anybody's pictures online. You can screenshot it, and somebody can mm-hmm. sell that on a child pornography site. Just saying. You never know who's you never know who's a weirdo. Um, hmm. we're talking about young people who are trading photos and videos for money or items. So you see a young person with their cash app in their bio and Amazon wishlist link in their bio on their social media. Um, you know, uh, and I want to talk about TikTok real quick. Um, mm-hmm. Up until last year, the number one application um, that young people were on was YouTube. Not anymore. Um, young people spend over an hour every single day probably more right now. I think that it was way underreported, just my opinion. But, you know, TikTok is the largest um, platform that young people are on. Um, And the content that young people view is hard to regulate. There is no, this is 18 plus only, like there's no moderation on that kind of stuff. There's a lot of moderation on, you know, things that shouldn't be moderated and there's no moderation on the things that should be moderated. Um, and so despite our best efforts to protect young people online, um, the content that's consumed on Instagram and TikTok is often inappropriate for young people. And that's just a fact. Um, I have two high school kids in my home. They're going to be 14, 15 and 16, um, this fall. Neither one of them have social media accounts because I know what's going on. So if you're a parent and your kids have social media and you don't have an account on that social media platform, um, what are you doing with your life? Like you need to know how these apps work. You need to be an expert in them so that you know whether or not they're safe, right? Basically what you're doing is saying here, Here's an application that has a bunch of pornography on it or pornographic like material or stuff that glorifies, you know, stripping and sex work. Go ahead and consume that media all the time. Um, I sat down a couple of days ago and I'm just going to read this off. So um, there are 200 point, 201.8 million views under 
um, the hashtag strip talk. Those are people who are in uh, exotic dancing that make TikToks and um, talk about what it's like being a stripper and counting money, lots of money, thousands of dollars worth of money every single day and making videos of it glorifying stripping. Um, we've got 231.1 million views under Strippa. We've got 201.8 million views under Strippa Talk. We've got 8.9 million views under Fans Only TikTok, which is OnlyFans, um, which has been incredibly glorified by celebrities and social media influencers. We've got 1.8 billion, not million, billion views under accountant, which is a code word for sex work online. We've got 308.9 million views under Scripa, which is another code for stripper. So, Karen, uh, you mentioned, um, you said accountant. So, I mean- so, Accountant is something because uh, people were reporting the word sex worker. And so they started saying, I'm an accountant. And like, they very, very, like, clearly are promoting sex work. Mm -hmm. wow. Yep. So remember, 1.8 billion views under hashtag accountant. And that's, that's there what, are. attracted my attention that, wow, that's a lot of people. A lot yeah. of views, should I say? A lot of views. A lot of views. So that's not individual. Interest. Yeah, that's not individual videos. But I mean, I didn't have time to collect all of that data. But what I'm telling you is that this thing—if your kid is on Instagram, if they're on TikTok—they are being spoon-fed this information. I have said that I don't want to see stuff like that on my social media, and it continues to show it to me. I never like it. I never follow anybody who makes that content. I never post anything of that type of content. Mm -hmm. But I see, I, and, and, and I continue, like there's a little flag that you can click on that says, I don't wanna see stuff like this anymore. Mm -hmm. I still see about 10 to 20 videos just with all that content in it every single day. And I can't change what I see versus what my kids see on the TikTok app. So if your ha kid has TikTok, please reconsider. Kara. How easy it is. They're seeing how easy it is to make money. And so they, they mm -hmm. get a cash app, they get um, Apple Pay, they get Venmo, they, get, um, they go on to uh, Amazon and they create a wish list and then they can send private videos to these weirdos online of them doing any variety of things and then they're getting these packages in the mail so that's a warning sign if your kid starts getting random packages in the mail or randomly starts having money on a cash app or a Venmo that you're like how'd you get this money and people say oh like people just send it to me for making videos or whatever, or they just send it to me. Big red flag. Yeah. Big, big red flag. So, and we want to make sure that parents know how to block these kinds of applications. If they choose that in their family, that social media is not the right thing for their children. Um, again, you got to come to an online safety for families because we will walk you through all these different little settings that you can make it so that they have to ask permission um, before they download an app or you can block apps entirely. Um, and it's been one of the things that has been a great decision for my family personally. Um, you know, there's lots and lots and lots of signs of exploitation, but I think that those those couple of things I really wanted to hit on it. TikTok <laughs> should not allow users below the age of 18, full stop. Um, so, you know, when I'm thinking about like some signs that parents need to be aware of, I'm gonna just hit like kind of these really important ones. Online relationships that are secretive um, multiple texting apps. So I've got a phone plan. The only texting app that I have is my work phone, Google voice. But if 
you're a young person, you have no need for a text now, a WhatsApp or anything like that. No need for it, unless you're hiding something. Mm -hmm. And it could be, it could be being exploited. It could be exploiting others. It could be sending um, inappropriate photos. It could be drug use that you're trying to hide. Um, it could be a variety of things. Um, I already talked about this multiple um, social media accounts and Amazon wish list, um, but particularly a mysterious older new romantic partner that isolates that person from their so support system. So your kid starts dating somebody and all of a sudden they never hang out with their friends. They quit playing sports. They start skipping school. So, um, again, I would really, I would really, really, really urge parents, stop letting your young kids have social media. They don't need it. It's not good for them. Um, and only let your kids, if they're like, if they've got some really good boundaries, like if your kids are allowed to tell you no and feel totally, um, confident and the ability to draw boundaries with their own parents if they can't draw boundaries with their own parents and be listened to they have no business being on social media because they're going to have no boundaries online mm -hmm. that's a good point mm -hmm. so um there is a whole bunch more that um i would love to share with folks so again i'm i'm going to continue to plug if you got a if if you're a parent, please come to Online Safety for Families. Um, it's one of the best ways that you can make sure that you are prepared and equipped. Um, and it's free. Like, like if I could mandate it for everybody, I would because I want yeah. to have the tools. That's where I was groomed. I was 12 years old when America Online came out. And they have perfected how to groom kids online. I was 12 years old. I don't want to see it happen anymore. So Kara, how do they connect with the online safety for children? So online safety for families, if you visit trafficking, P-R-A-F-F-I-C-K-I-N-G, prevention, P-R-E-V-E-N-T-I-O-N.org, um, slash latest, you will see all of our programs that we're offering um, online. So one thing I will say too is like in a lot of areas, uh, especially like more rural areas, I've noticed in Pierce County, parents get up in arms anytime our organization comes out there and is about mm. to provide any sort of prevention programming because they don't want their kids to learn about how terrible the world is. And what I'll tell you is that most agencies, most, some, some are definitely problematic, um, but most agencies that wanna come out and provide prevention education and talk about sexual health or preventing human trafficking, they're doing it to prevent your child from ever being abused in their life. So, and being able to help their friends and be an active bystander. Like, please stop shutting us out of your schools thinking that we're going to violate any sort of faith beliefs. We're not there to violate anybody's faith beliefs. We're out there to keep people safe in the community so that we can stop wasting a whole bunch of money every year on social programs to rehabilitate people who have been harmed so badly. So it can be somewhat listed as a preventative measure. It's all per, like, like, yeah, yeah, yes. this is totally a hundred percent sex, sex health education and human trafficking education are prevention. Yes. They're absolutely prevention because what we do is we focus on things. We make sure that people have adequate, like accurate information to be able to stay safe so that they understand how to do things like protect themselves. Um, and I mean, I'm telling you prevention, like the, the social return on investment for prevention is beautiful. Um, and our society, if we were to start preventing the things that plague us, 
we would see our society totally change in a couple of generations. So I, I, I have a question and somewhat of a concern and, and it's from this. There is a difference, a should be a difference in sex education and preventive measure of educating children against sexual exploitation. I say that from the perspective that, um, and I believe that it is documented, I can't say for sure, but some of the sex, sex education is a means of grooming from a particular set. Okay, that's why I say I, 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 can't, I can't say that I know that for sure. Again, it, it has, and I don't believe that that is a, uh, uh, um, what do they call it, theory? Um, conspiracy theory. I don't believe that that's altogether a conspiracy theory. Now, I know that there is some out there uh, that came up here recently in some of the conversation about one of these groups that were supposedly um, doing whatever. But again, my concern is that there has been conversation that I believe came from some legitimate sources of some of the sex education being from a platform that, um, that is from a community that has the use grooming to perpetuate itself. I mean, I would be really kind of, a, uh, you know, because we don't have the source right now, um, you don't have the source right now in front of you and stuff like that, and you're not sure, I, I would say that maybe we table that conversation just okay. because I don't want more people to get misinformed about that and, kind of stuff. Right. And okay, I understand that. Yeah. And again, that but that's a concern, even in the minds of those that may be thinking that they're protecting individuals when they are exposing and then some that need to be uh, aware and have the type of prevention brought to them, they can misconstrue that information and totally shut it down. So I say that from both perspectives because again, we need the awareness so that we have the prevention measures and again, be able to give help to a vulnerable community. So I respect that. Kara, again, because again, you're, you're, you're more experienced even from a professional standpoint than I am. And, and so some of the concerns may come from that thing of it being some sort of conspiracy that will shut down opening up to information that is very viable to the faith community. So what I would say to the faith community is if the school itself is inviting the people in like you know the middle school is inviting say uh my organization or our sister's house in okay, okay? we have all had to go through extreme vetting processes to even be welcome into the front door we have to pass background checks we have to have tons and and like hours and hours and days and days of training mm -hmm. um and I, I don't, I don't know about y'all, but I think back to my own sex ed education when I was growing up and they left out all kinds of stuff. So what we right. like, and I'm 34 years old, so my age and anybody older than me, um, and I mean that with like the most love, y'all probably don't have the same sexual health education mm -hmm. that our kids have access to today because right. science has done amazing things in the last 15, 20 years since I received my first sex ed education. And so that means that we know more about how to prevent things like, I don't know, uterine cancer and um, human papillomavirus and herpes and HIV AIDS, um, which my papa died from, you know, and like all, all of those things, like those are important things for people to know. The, 
some of those are life and death things for Absolutely. people to know. And yeah. so, um, you know, I would just say that if you're not an expert in it and like your child's school is bringing in experts to talk about things, they're not going to bring in some tinfoil hat yahoo to come in and talk about these things. Like they're just not going to. Stop listening to people on the internet. Go read some like, like reviewed research. I'm not talking social media posts. I'm not mm -hmm. talking blog posts. Good. I'm talking about research. Yes. Scientists and researchers. Read that stuff. And that's what you trust. Read it yourself. Quit saying, trusting people that said, I read the research. Go read it yourself if you're that concerned about something. Call the organization, ask questions. I don't want any, I don't want any parent ever. And to date, like knock on wood, like to date, I haven't had a single parent ever contact the schools that I've been in and said, what are you teaching my children? Because we're teaching age appropriate stuff to them mm -hmm. that is useful for their social emotional development and appropriate. We're not going into, you know, change anybody's religious beliefs, anybody's morals or anything like that. If anything, like we're going in and we're trying to increase the empathy, community, cooperation, humility, kindness. Okay. That, that's our focus. When we're doing prevention education, which are spiritual, th those are principles that most faith bodies have mm -hmm. and tout. Yeah. I mean, like we could be partners and stuff in this, right? Absolutely. We have to be. Yeah, we should be. We, we've got to be partners in collaboration and sharing information because we don't know it all. And, and again, we, we can have this cloak about pray about it and not out resource some of the things that some of our parishioners would actually need. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, mean, I appreciate you. I applaud you in your efforts, in your efforts to share information so passionately. And the added level is a measure of experience where you have right. overcome, conquered, and there is no shame in your game. There is more the information to share with someone to help them to navigate the seasons of innocence so that innocence is protected. Yeah. And I mean, like I said, like, and I'll keep saying, like, I just want us all to be safe. And even if you think that your kid will not be exploited, that's not why we do prevention. Um, we do prevention to make sure that your kid, your kid's classmate, your kid's best friend, your kid's cousin, your kid's niece or nephew down the line doesn't experience exploitation. It's, and not to use a, a vaccine uh, analogy, because I know that those are super, super, you know, kind of uh, controversial right now for some folks, but you know, um, let, let's talk smallpox vaccine, right? Smallpox went away because we, we had enough people get vaccinated. And when we're talking about prevention, like that's what it is, is that we start to get herd immunity because some people have this belief that it's okay to purchase sex because of what they saw online. Right. And because your kid has TikTok, they're going to think that sex work is fantastic and empowering and it is not fantastic and it is not empowering um and so through our programs they're gonna have an opportunity to learn to not be harmed to not harm others and that if somebody um is being harmed around them to be an active bystander and show up mm -hmm. that's the whole point so yeah great yeah well, I think this was very needed, very necessary, very educational. I'd like to thank you again, Ms. Kara Dubeck from Washington Trafficking Prevention yeah. and to Bishop Kim Forrest. I appreciate you both. And to my viewers, 
please, please take into consideration what has been said today and contact the necessary organizations for more informed information. And again, if you are or know someone that is experiencing domestic violence, please contact our sister's house. Our number again is 253-383-4275. And I'm gonna go a little further. If you know someone that could possibly be in a trafficking or exploitation situation, I encourage you, I highly encourage you, contact Washington Trafficking Prevention. Go to the right sources. Yeah. Thanks. Everybody have a good day. You too. Thank you.